希伯来书四章十四到十六节。我们既然有一位已经深入高天尊荣的大祭司，就是神的儿子耶稣，便当持定所承认的道。因我们的大祭司并非不能体恤我们的软弱，他也曾凡事受过试探，与我们一样，只是。他没有犯罪，所以我们只管坦然无惧地来到施恩的宝座前，为要得连续蒙恩惠，做随时的帮助。Hebrews 4:14-16. Since then we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord for us. Raise your hand.、Uh, oh, for, I'll introduce myself first. I'm John Hill.、Uh, my family's been attending. Here at CCC for about three years.、Um, raise your hand if if you think God has a hum- sense of humor. Does God have a sense of humor? Put them up really high. Say it. Say it proudly. If you think God has a sense of humor. Okay. I'm really trying to get at least half of the people in the audience here in the congregation to agree with me today because I really think He does. And I may say a few irreverent things today, and I hope that he takes it in the spirit intended. If we start hearing、um, some thunder and I get struck by lightning, you'll know I've maybe pushed things a little too far.、Um, but I think he does have a sense of humor. For one thing, remember last week when when Rick was talking, he said, "You know, I know that I can go and I can talk, ask somebody with just a week's notice to preach." And they're going to come, and they're going to have something, something ready. Do you remember him saying that last week? I got asked on Tuesday. Tuesday, I got asked when he said that. I was like, "Yeah, I'm glad I had a month the last time," and now I got a few days.、Um, I woke up this morning thinking about Jesus, and you might think, "Well, that doesn't seem very irreverent." But I was thinking about the metaphors and similes and ways things that we compare Jesus to, and I was thinking, man, the Bible is full of some really potentially terrible metaphors for Jesus, or potentially really misunderstood. There's some really good ones too.、Um, oh, I put it on my phone actually. I think getting old is another. Way that God shows us His sense of humor. I've started to have to need these. I'm in my 40s now. My parent, my mom said, "When you get in your 40s, you're going to have to start using glasses." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." She was right. She was right. So I, I th- just this morning, I have my sermon notes, but this is these are my notes from this morning, thinking about Jesus and thinking about metaphors for Jesus that we find in the body. A few weeks ago, I talked about the head and the body metaphor. That's a cool one, right? We get that and. Thank goodness Christ is the head and not like the fingernail or something like that.、Um, the bridegroom and the bride—that's a metaphor for Jesus that we like.、Um, he's the light of the world. That's very poetic. 
um, conjures up great imagery, the way, the truth, the life, the word, the logos, as it says in John, um, the Gospel of John, the true vine. You really like these. These are, these are rich and deep. Living water. Great metaphors for Jesus. And then there's some other ones where if you were not a Christian hearing these things, you might go, what in the world? Jesus is like a thief in the night. How many of you are looking forward to a thief in the night? And yet that's how Jesus is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. Or, okay, have you ever been to a party or been in a group where people asked you, like you're going around taking turns, like if you could be any animal, what would you be? Have you ever had that? Like sometimes it's kind of a team building thing, but you can kind of imagine. Or sometimes it's like, what's your favorite food? Or, and I was just sort of laying there this morning thinking about Jesus, thinking like if Jesus was at a party, because we know he partied, um, and they were like going around saying, if you could be any kind of food, what would you be? And it's going around and people are listing all of their, you know, it's, it's in the Mediterranean Arab region, so they're probably like, I'll be baba ganoush, I'll be hummus, I'll be, and they would get around maybe to, to Jesus, and you expect him to say something awesome and biblical, like, I'd be the fatted calf, or, you know, really good goat on a skewer, or lamb on a skewer, or something, probably not goat, um, but he came around, and it's like, Jesus, what bread, what would you be, and he said, bread, Bread, like really, Jesus, that's the best you can come up with, is bread? Or here's one that we take for granted. When we hear Jesus called the shepherd, we don't think anything of it. But at the time, what we, I mean, who were shepherds in Jewish society? Like the lowest of the low, like practically outcast. It's like we don't want to see you go up there on that mountain and take care of sheep. Like and yet Jesus identifies with that. He says, I am the shepherd. So kind of another odd metaphor. Sometimes I'm, a, I'm an educator, and sometimes there's a, an unfortunate metaphor that goes through my head for some of my students. They're middle school students, so you'll probably understand. But sometimes I kind of just think to myself, dumb as a rock, when I think about middle school students. Dumb as a rock. Like, just, just not thinking well. And yet Jesus claims that. He says, I, you know, I'm the rock. And he calls other people the rock. And he uses that metaphor a lot. Another one that could be really confusing to people who don't get it. And then lamb, right? Anybody ever been on a sheep farm? Seen lambs? I don't know if I'd want to identify with being a lamb. They're kind of weak. They're really not very smart. They follow the crowd. They're not leaders. They're tasty. I don't, I don't want to be identified with a lamb, and yet Jesus goes ahead and he grabs that metaphor for himself. So, with all of those questionable metaphors, I'm going to give you another metaphor for Jesus today. My own. It's not biblical at all. Hopefully I'll tie it together and you'll understand it by the end, but my metaphor for Jesus is kelp. Do you know what kelp is? What is it? Seaweed, yeah, seaweed. In, in, uh, if I was back in Korea where we lived before, people would go, oh yeah, seaweed's really good. That's a cool metaphor for Jesus. But where I come from in the United States, like seaweed is not food. It is kind of that, just that slimy stuff that stinks at the beach. Um, 
And yet my metaphor for Jesus today is food. And the title of the sermon today is Hold Fast. Sometimes you see guys with these tattoos on their knuckles. Hopefully all this will make sense by the end. I hope so. hope I'm not just rambling meaninglessly here. All right. So when I was in college, um, I went to a part of the United States called the Puget Sound. The San Juan Islands is a little archipelago of islands in the San Juan, in the Puget Sound. And I spent a couple of summers there working on a farm, making some extra money. And in my spare time, I learned how to scuba dive. So I got to spend a lot of time in a beautiful place just like this. It looks so lovely. Because it's the Puget Sound is connected to the ocean and there's all these islands and channels and things, there's always really, really strong current when you dive there, so it's very challenging to be in the water in the Puget Sound. And the water is usually also about 10 degrees Celsius, or about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, for those of you that speak that language. So cold, really, really cold. And when you go diving there, you go down maybe to 18 or 25 meters below the surface, and because there's current, you just kind of go down quickly, and then you just ride the current, and it's like you're flying. And there's kelp, and there's rocks, and fish, and things to see. But it's sort of challenging because you're always on the move. You can never really stop very easily. And so to survive in that kind of an environment, that's not me. I just found a picture of a guy in a wetsuit. You have to wear a really thick wetsuit. Like when I would wear that, I think it was something like 14 millimeters thick, the wetsuit that I would wear. And hard to put your arms down, kind of like the guy in the Christmas story, if you've ever seen that movie, the little kid who said, I can't put my arms down because his mom bundled him up. It's kind of how I felt in the wetsuit, really tight and restrictive and rubbery, and you just kind of can hardly move, and it's hard to breathe because it's squeezing you. But that's what you need in order to stay warm in such cold water. The other thing about a wetsuit, especially one that's that thick, is that it's very buoyant. Right? So if you were to put that wetsuit on and just jump into the water with nothing else on, you'd just be, you'd be floating right on the surface, and there's just no way to go down. Very, very buoyant. And so, this is the other thing you have to wear. What's that? Weights made of, what do you think? Lead. So for me, I would wear about 15 kilos of lead around my waist in order to counteract the flotation of my wetsuit so that I could just achieve neutral buoyancy and actually get to swim down, down to the bottom. It's heavy, really heavy. 15 kilos of, of, wet, of lead weight around my waist. It's actually a relief to get into the water because otherwise you're carrying all this gear and it's just so heavy. When you get in the water, all of a sudden you kind of feel weightless and it's nice, cold, especially when it leaks into the wetsuit, that's cold. So, again, not me, just some diver in the Puget Sound. Um, So another diver and I were doing a current dive. A boat had taken us out, dropped us off, we went down to 18 meters in the, in the water and just started riding that current. The boat would have been somewhere up above us, 
looking for the bubbles coming up so that it could kind of follow us along as we were riding the current. We're having a great time. Again, about 18 meters down, 60 feet approximately. And one thing that can happen when you go down in the water and you have that big spongy wetsuit on is the pressure increases and it can actually squeeze that wetsuit a little bit. And, when, and so I essentially got thinner. Sometimes I wish that could happen in other ways as well. But I got a little thinner because of the pressure. And as I got thinner, the belt got, what do you think? Looser, right? And the kind of buckle that it has, it has to have tension on it in order to stay connected well. And so as it got loose, the buckle came undone. And my weight belt fell off, clunk, and went clunk, 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 down about 10 more meters down a little cliff. So instantly, what starts happening to me? Right? Ooh, going straight up, right? As fast, like, now I've got this big, massive wetsuit on that's a big flotation device, and I'm headed for the surface. And that's really dangerous, because as you go up, the same way that the suit got compressed when I was at depth, so did the air that I was breathing out of my tank. And if you go up, what happens to that air? It expands. And if, you, and if it expands too quickly in your lungs and you can't get it out fast enough, it can actually burst your lung. It's called an air embolism, and it's often fatal when it happens. One of the perils of scuba diving. So instinctually, try to swim down, like kicking hard and grabbing anything I can. And I didn't even see it, but I grabbed something. And it held me. I held onto it with my hand, and it held me there. That's what I grabbed. Not that exact one, that's just a picture of kelp. But something along those lines, and that the stalk, the, the stem of that is probably about as big as my finger or maybe a pencil, just thin, just this thin little piece of kelp. And there weren't any others around in that area. That was the only one. It's not like I could grab a bunch of them and feel like I could really, it, there was one about as big around as a pencil. And there I was holding onto that with my feet straight up in the air, right? trying to kind of kick, and looking around for who? My, my dive buddy. And so he, find, he was a little behind me, fortunately behind me and not way out ahead of me. He came up and, and he was looking at me going, why in the world are you doing that? And I was like, look down there, look down there. I couldn't say it, but I was pointing for everything. I was holding on with one hand and motioning with my other hand so that he could see that my weight belt had fallen off. And so he goes, oh, and he went down, he got my weight belt, and he brought it back to me. And I, it's so heavy that I, I, I couldn't get it on, but he, he could give it to me, and I could hold it in my hand and get the weight that I needed for my whole body to, to be able to not go to the surface again. So I was safe at that point. But that kelp had to hold me there for a couple of minutes without letting go of me, and without me letting go of it. Very, very important. 
And there's, if you look at kelp, I'm a marine, I, I have a master's degree in oceanography. This stuff is just really cool to me. Um, if you look at kelp down at the bottom, what's that thing at the bottom called? A hold fast. So every time I read scripture and that phrase, hold fast, is in scripture lots and lots of places in many different contexts, but whenever I see it in scripture, I think of kelp. That's why it's kind of my personal metaphor. It's not roots going down into the soil, it's more like fingers that grab onto the hard rock and maybe get down into the cracks a little bit and hang on. And in the Puget Sound, they're really good at it because there's always this current rushing by and any, help, any kelp that isn't good at it gets washed away. So as the current goes back and forth with the tide swinging and big waves and things, the kelp actually has to hold on pretty tight. And it, it held me effectively, thank God. And when I got back to the boat, I had to carry the, I couldn't get it on, but I, so I just carried it for about 15 more minutes until I got back to the boat and gave it to the boat, the dive master on the boat as quickly as can, and then just lay there in the water at the top, breathing air, just, because <sighs> it was, by that time, my, my arm was so tired from carrying that weight. I'm sure my wife likes hearing about the time I almost died. <laughs> Could have changed your life if that had happened. I didn't, I didn't know her then, but... <laughs> My wife, Lana, over there. <laughs> so, hold fast. In English, that phrase means to remain securely attached. It's, it's an idiom. It's a, it's a phrase. You, you wouldn't normally, like, I, I can imagine non-English speakers, like some of you are non-English speakers, you might think of, look at that phrase and go, hold Fast. Those th th that doesn't really translate well. It doesn't make sense. But in English, it means to remain securely attached. And it was a phrase that sailors used when they were talking about what they needed to do when there's a storm and the, and the sailing ship is rocking and you have to hang on to the rigging or the ropes really, really tight. Like everywhere you walk when it's like that, you always have to be holding fast to something. And that's why sailors would get it tattooed on their knuckles, because it was like good luck. They thought if they got those tattoos, then they could actually do it a little better, right? It was, it was a reminder to, that they needed to hold fast as a sailor, to remain securely attached. So the, the scripture that was read a little while ago, um, Hebrews 4, talked about remaining holding fast to our confession. And it says it again in Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 14. I'll read it out loud. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. I'll explain kind of the context for this in a minute. Um, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I don't think that was the right verse. 
Mm. No, it was. Okay. So this is, this is not about holding fast. I, I got a little bit out of I was thinking it was the next one. This is what the context of the whole book of Hebrews is really about. Um, the book is called Hebrews. So who was it to? Hebrew people, Jewish people, people who are, are, are at that time trying to reconcile the teachings of the Old Testament with the new teachings of Christianity. And they, had, they were steeped in tradition about priests and sacrifices. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jews saying, every priest does this day to day, offering the same sacrifices over and over again, doves, lambs, whatever it is, for people who had sinned and were seeking, seeking to be cleansed, by the, you know, um, forgiven of their sins, I guess. But, but the writer is saying it, it, it doesn't work. Those sacrifices don't actually take away sins. So when Christ came along, his sacrifice actually worked. And so the whole point of Hebrews is that Christ is a much better high priest than any that the Jews had ever experienced. And he's a much better, more effective sacrifice than any of the sacrifices that had ever been given. Those are the big themes, essentially, of Hebrews. And how should we respond to that? So keeping that context in mind, in Hebrews 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Can we read that together out loud? Ready? Here we go. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what is a confession of our hope? I tell you, we've done it a few times today. The songs that we sing, talking about Christ as our ransom, saying, you are good, you are good, you are good, repeatedly. That is a confession of our hope. What the kids did up here, what they talked about, was a beautiful confession of hope in Christ, talking about all the things that he has done for us and our dependence on him, our hope on him. The song we read about the song that says, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. God holds on to us. But it's a little bit of a two-way street. The verse here says we almost must hold on to our hope in him. There's a certain, I mean, we have free will. We can let go. We can go and do other things. We can make other choices. The exhortation here is that we hold on to our hope in Christ, kind of like I was holding on to that little piece of seaweed. You hold on desperately to that confession, to that belief in what Christ has done for us. So what sorts of things can cause us to let go, to not hold on, to not hold fast to that hope, to that confession? Hebrews 10 goes on. 
to talk about a few things. In verses uh, 26 through 31, I won't, I won't read it out, but to summarize it, it says, if we know the truth, and yet we willfully decide to go the other way, we are not holding fast. We are not holding fast to our confession. After that, the next few verses, verses 32 to 39, describes those who suffered well for Christ. People in the Old Testament who had suffered well, and even the people within the community that was being written to talked about how some of the people in that community had sacrificed personally quite greatly to help those who had been imprisoned. They had been humiliated publicly for their faith. While they were ministering to other people, people had gone and robbed them and taken all of their things. They had suffered and had material loss. And yet they did not become discouraged. They remain steadfast in their confidence. So one of the things that can cause us to lose, to, to not hold fast, is to be discouraged in a way that we lose confidence. We have to have a mindset that allows us to see that those hard times have a purpose. God redeems even those hard experiences that we have in our lives. And just because our circumstances change and become difficult doesn't mean that we should let go of our hope in Christ. That, I, that idea of those people suffering and losing things, they had been robbed, their things had been taken, the Christians, their things had been taken away because they were being obedient and being good to other people in the community gave me another thing that I think we struggle with a lot, something that can cause us to let go and lose, lose hold of our faith, and that's materialism putting faith in things. We're going to go to Michigan on Friday. We live out in the countryside in Michigan, and don't, we, we try to just stay at our little cottage in, out in the countryside as much as we can, and we even try, I, I even try to not have to go shopping. And so I go on Amazon, and I do all of my shopping online. And I've been actually doing that. I have, a, I have a cart with like 50 things in it right now, just ready for the order button when we first get there. And then the, the UPS and FedEx trucks will start coming and bringing it. Um, all of that stuff. So I've been really focused on stuff. It's dangerous, though, isn't it? To think about that next thing that we want. To say, oh, I can't wait till I get that. I'll be really happy if I get that. But it never works. And often it can become such a distraction that we let go of our hope in Christ. We're not, we're not putting our dependence where it belongs. And I'm guilty of that. And I'm sure many of you would say the same thing, that you're guilty of being too materialistic, thinking too much about things, and not really putting your hope in Christ How do we hold fast? Moving into chapter 11 of Hebrews. 
a very famous verse, one you've, you're probably familiar with, because it's the definition of faith that we have in Scripture. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convic- the conviction of things not seen. We hold fast by having faith. By filling our head with that, having that mindset that God will do what he says he will do. We also have faith by following the example of others. If you continue reading in chapter 11, it starts all the way back at the beginning of Genesis, and it says God created the heavens and the earth, and then it starts just going through all of the heroes of the Old Testament. And it talks about the faith that each of them had in God and how that was made such a difference for them, how that was how they held on to God was through their faith. And I think part of this, there's another way that we can maintain that grip. We have to have a worldview that says God is in control. If you have a hard time believing that God is really in control, then it's hard to put all of your faith in him and to hold on and to really put your, faith, your hope in that confession of his goodness. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We're not always going to see God at work. We're not always going to see his hand in our suffering at that moment. And yet, if we have the mindset, if that's a mindset that we've practiced, that God is in control, he has made everything, everything in this world is his, he has control over it all, he's allowing certain things to happen, but he has control over it all, it makes it easier to hold on, knowing that that's the truth of the situation, that that is reality. In the same way that we look at the Old Testament and we take the example of people that are described there and we learn from their example and learn from their faith, I think we have a job to do with each other as well. As a church, it's important for us to be looking to each other to help each other hold on. I had, when I was diving, I had a friend. (laughs) Thank goodness I had a friend and I was not there trying to do that alone. A friend came along and gave me help, made a big difference. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, Thank you for meeting with me today. Thank you for meeting with each other today. We didn't neglect that this morning. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day when Christ comes back. 
We need to be encouraging each other, stirring one another up to love and good works, helping each other stay in that mindset of God's purpose for us. What does that look like? In our church, how do we stir each other up? You, need, you look like you need to be woken up a little bit. <clears throat> Raise your hand. Who's got an idea? How, do, how can you stir up someone else in our congregation to love and good works? Any ideas? This lady raised her hand, but I think she was just stretching. Okay. Sorry? Encourage. Give encouragement. Words of affirmation, words of encouragement, especially if you see somebody who's struggling. Maybe an invitation. Hey, I'm going to go and help these people over here. Would you like to come and help me help them? I need, I need a buddy. Somebody to give me a little confidence. Yes? Ask for help. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. We are so guarded. It's the Facebook syndrome, right? How many, how many people ask for help on Facebook or just because they're struggling? How many put, people put their struggles out on Facebook and how many people just sort of put their awesome vacation pictures on Facebook? No, people don't tend to put their struggles out for others to see and to ask for help publicly. And yet it is such an amazing invitation for us to build each other up in the body, for us to give other people opportunities to help us. To be real and say, I need help. Come and help me. The same way I was like, get down there, get that for me. I couldn't say it, but I could mime it. It's important that we're in this together. It's not just individually holding on. It's all of us holding on together. God has big plans for each of us, for all of us together because of that. Because of Christ, his sacrifice, we can have a lot of confidence in that. You know, as I was scuba diving, I've tried to just expand the metaphor to see how far I can take it. I'm a thinker. I, I do that kind of thing. It was kind of like the laws of physics trying to drag me to the surface at that moment. Were kind of, it was kind of like the law of Moses in the Old Testament, right? We're getting back into Hebrews and now saying that there's a better system, a new covenant that we can be operating under now. It's kind of like the laws of physics were sort of like the law of Moses for me. Wearing that belt was sort of like being obedient to the Old Testament law. Losing that belt is kind of like sin. Put me in a lot of danger at that point. And in desperation, I was reaching for anything. Sometimes we get into that kind of situation. And that kelp, here's the metaphor, that kelp was Christ to me. Something that I could grab onto and hold fast to and trust in he saved me from the results of sin, from the laws of physics at that moment. And I held fast to that, and I trusted that it wouldn't let me go. My holding on was like my faith. My friend bringing me back the belt 
It was kind of like one of you urging me on to love and to do good. It's good to wake up in the morning thinking about Jesus, right? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. Thank you for saving us, all of us. Thank you for being our amazing high priest who intercedes on our behalf with the Father so that his wrath does not get poured out on us so that our sins can be forgiven and we can be accounted righteous in his eyes. Thank you for being that high priest who mediates for us. Thank you for also being the sacrifice, the lamb, the perfect sacrifice that finally took away death's grip on us and gives us hope. Give us the confidence, the courage to speak that, to speak that in our families, to speak that in our friendship circles, to speak that even, even more widely, that we would confess our hope in you. Help us to hold fast to that belief and to not be dragged away. Hold fast to us as well. Thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.